Talking Landscape Photography with Christian Fletcher and Carwin. It is Like Minded with myself, Carwin, and Cristiano Fletcher, a.k.a. Fletch, or just uh, Christian Fletcher, you can call him that too. And uh, we're joined today by Art Wolf. Now, Art, uh, these are very, very unusual times uh, with this COVID-19 and that sort of stuff. Do you ever remember anything like this ever in your life? Only really old people, uh, maybe 105 uh, years old, were around for the uh, flu, that uh, the Spanish flu, mm. which happened... I mean, there are a few old souls that were around for that, mm. but there's nothing in uh, most people's lifetimes that come anywhere like this. How does this play out? Like, where, where is this going to go? And, you know, we're, just, we're interested in hearing this from a, from a West Coast United States perspective. Okay. Well, it's going to... Um, level off it's leveling off in new york they they just lost in the two states new jersey and new york overnight they lost i think it was 1500 people died Mm. somebody's dying every two minutes uh in new york and new jersey Mm. but it's leveling off uh social distancing is actually working on slowing the spread of the disease Mm. and at, uh, China today just opened up. Wulong just totally uh, has opened up now. They're getting no deaths now. Mm. And so it goes through a cycle, and it could be that it comes back next year, next fall, and the typical winter in the north uh, is almost all flus come out of China, by the way. H1N1, uh, SARS came out of China, and it's all the bushmeat uh uh, food and that's how AIDS came out of the Congo and the Ebola came out of the Congo. Oh. All people eating animals that we should not be eating, and that's yeah. what has released virulent viruses. But what will happen is by next fall, there will be vaccines for this. Mm-hmm. They're accelerating the vaccines, there's a number of institutions frantically working on it. So, definitely by I would say. October or November, when uh, COVID comes back into our consciousness, mm. um, there will be vaccines. And even if there wasn't, it once it's in a in a population, it becomes less and less virulent. Mm. So you would never see the same deaths that you see now. Mm. We have no antibodies for it, and I mean, certain people they're testing to see if they do. But the reason it's been so dramatic is it hasn't been of this version in our bloodstreams before. And so it's taken a lot of the older people and almost everybody that's dying has secondary um, systems. You know, they've either smoked their whole life, they've got chronic this or that. And so it's the old and the people that other issues that are dying. And in America, it's hugely the black population. Yeah. Yeah. That was just discovered today. So I think it's going to run its course, um, but there will be another virus and another virus uh, because we travel the world so fast now Mm. that historically, if it was in somebody's, uh, okay, Henry, I think I made my point. Oh, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> Cowan does that to me. He puts his finger oh. up and says, oh, I want to ask the well, you next don't, you, don't, you don't have to put it like that, <laughs> yeah, Fletch. You know? that actually, I always are saying, you're too long-winded. Shut up. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Mate, That's just um, really interested in your perspective, but is this, you know, is this the, the new normal? Like every four or five years, some sort of super virus is just going to come along and give us a spanking. Well, you know, I, I play, that's the biggest peril for humans. Uh, climate change will uh, dis- disrupt a lot of lives. Mm. Um, but I think a virus is our big undoing. And I think this is really a benefit, not for families that have lost people. Of course, that's awful, awful, awful. But it's a wake-up call for all of us that uh, we will not be so unprepared next time around. We will have, we will go into it much wider open. So that's just the reality. Everybody was caught sleeping. The countries that did the best are Korea. You know, Korea lives right next to North Korea, and mm. they were really prepared for gas attacks or some sort of incident. And so they had everything kind of wired, and they were able to thwart it really fast and get back to normal. Mm. So yeah. one thing I've, I've I, I see as a, a positive. Well, actually, it makes me think. You know, we've the governments around the world have spent so much money on fighting this this disease. Mm. Um, the the next, well, one of the major threats to our our to the human race is climate change, and it makes it gives me some hope that we can mobilize resources and fight climate change as easily as we're doing it with this this COVID nineteen. So. I'm hoping that after all this has happened, maybe we'll we'll learn some things like yes, we need to be more prepared, but also maybe we can do with less. We can get by with less. Mm. We can we can maybe look in our own backyards. I mean, America is the most beautiful country on earth to to photograph. If you know, you guys, you would never have to leave your own country and and still have you know, the the most wonderful times. And, and maybe work together as communities. Maybe our communities will get stronger because we'll look after each other more. So I'm hoping that there is some positives that come out of all this. Mm, definitely. That, that's, that's definitely. Well, I mean, there's a lot of positives that are coming out. You see uh, compassion. You see uh, a lot more appreciation for the healthcare workers that are mm. on the front lines. Mm. You see people acting much nicer towards each other, mm-hmm. even though they stay further away from each other right now. Hmm. So in times of crisis, people pull together. Unfortunately, um, we need leaders that really have the big picture in mind and do not worry so much about the economy as much as the health of the planet. And, you know, I, you know who I'm talking about, Hmm. (laughs) I hope. Um, So we need um, leaders that lead and mm. not from behind and that's what we've got right now we have a leader that leads from behind mm. yeah. so we need more progressive um, people that look at the the climate you know mm. the amount of ocean rise will put all major cities on the planet underwater mm. Sydney Seattle New York all the cities that are on the oceans will be underwater because if all the ice in the polar regions truly do melt, it's not rising three meters. It's rising about, I'm going to say about a little over 50 feet, which puts all these cities Mm. out of business. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's significant because people keep on thinking, oh, it's only going to rise maybe a meter. Yeah. It's like you guys are paying attention to what the scientists are showing us. Yeah. So that's I, I, significantly going to alter. I thought you know, the whole Amazonian basin will be underwater. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got to say, I thought what uh, what Fletch said before is um, – is, is quite pertinent and you know it's it's unfortunate that we've got this situation where we have to um, you know I guess use that to il- illustrate a point but the thing is we are on a war footing and and I suppose this just illustrates what's actually globally uh, achievable if we are on a war footing but um, look just just away for that uh, from that for a second and just back to photography art um, you're in self-isolation at the moment what are you doing photographically? Are you doing little, you know, sort of projects around the house, or because I know Fletch has um, has got lights set up at home and he's, he's sort of messing around with uh, different lighting sort of scenarios. But what are you actually doing to to keep your brain active? Being together, thirty half hour lectures. That's a lot of content, and so I split my day up between sitting and looking at my monitor and mm. pulling. I'm literally wading through. I've got it probably about, I want to say about 5,000 photos that will be part of this lecture series. Mm. And the photos, it's like playing Old Maid. You have to have uh, find the right photos mm. out of the archive, and there's got to be a million photos I'm drawing from. Mm. So I'm going into the archive and remembering where I shot what and then pulling those into these lectures and illustrating various points. So that keeps me mentally fit. Mm. And then... I alluded to earlier this house is on a hillside. Mm. I have a green belt to the north, and that is the, that ivy I pulled off the house and I pulled off the trees, but I have not been able to get down there to do much work over seven years because I'm just traveling mm. like a crazy man. And so now I have the time. So I'm working on projects that I put off for seven years, and I'm happy. I'm just every day I'm working as hard as I ever did. So I'm not sitting around, and unfortunately, I've got a very open piece of property, so psychologically, I don't feel confined, and I really do feel sorry for the people that are living in smaller abodes, at any rate, that we're back to COVID again. So uh, that's what keeps me mentally fit, is working on the content of these lectures, and I need to get these things out to the public prior to the end of COVID, simply because... They're sitting on their computers right now, and this would be really educational and entertaining for them yeah. to uh, yeah. see. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people yeah, think- are focusing that way. Hey, you look up. Uh, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the Human Canvas project because mm. they were some of the the most creative photos I've ever ever seen. And uh, I'm Thank not just you. saying that because you're sitting in front of me, but uh, I, I was really truly stunned by that body of work and and thought, wow, that's that's just so creative and it's such a, a an awesome idea. How did that come about? What I know you talked about, you know, you saw a lot of that in, in the in the tribes and stuff that you visit, the paintings and stuff, but is there some some other reason for getting that together? Yeah. In fact, it was uh, in 2008, the world um, economy took a deep dive and that was the, the end of the TV show that I was uh, hosting. And so suddenly I had time on my hands and I always kind of dabbled with the idea of doing something with humans that were was different and I didn't want to just do 
nudes because I don't want my audience to say, oh, now Art's doing nudes like all old men do. Uh, <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm going to try to do uh, details of human bodies that look like uh, details of landscapes and then go shoot landscapes that look like human bodies. And I would call this the sensuous earth. And as I worked on that, it became evident that other people had pretty much done versions of that, not quite as comprehensive as I was going to do, but I didn't want to spend all the time working on something that looked derivative of somebody else. So I, then, as you said, I went back and looked at earlier works of a lot of the tribes and specifically how they adorned themselves during ceremonial occasions. And so that gave me the inception of the idea of just taking nudes and then painting them into elaborate backdrops and uh, using camouflage. And then I learned to clay people and bake them. And so cracked clay was covering their bodies. And then and since you saw that, it evolved into shamanisms and uh, antlers and all sorts of things. And finally, the book came out uh, about five months ago in October of last year. The book came out again, a new book on it, but it's much more comprehensive. So yeah. uh, it was a, a passion. I, I brought it to a, a close. Uh, I worked on it for about 10 years and now the book's out. And now I'm going to use that book as a calling card to see if I can get an installation in a museum or somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I bet it deserves to be in a museum because such I think a nice so. you know, it takes it, it does take a lot of effort to communicate with art directors and you know it's for people that have the time to spend communicating and going back and forth i'm you know and the staff is pretty much busy doing other things so yeah. i need to find a champion that can take it to uh some museums we'll we'll find somebody yeah I, I should should travel the world because it's it's such a beautiful body of work. It, it should. Thank you. Um, and I and I remember you saying that you would uh, put notices up down at the at the local gyms and saying I would need uh, anyone that got some free time this afternoon to, you know, and, and that's how you got your, your your models for the for the photos. All of, them. yeah, all of them, yeah. A, they all volunteered. Uh, I gave them uh, a model print for their efforts, but they showed up and. It was, yeah, it, that was the best part of, about the whole project, quite honestly, was working with these individuals that were just enthusiastic and they wanted to be part of an art project. So great people, uh, lasting friendships. We had over 100 people. So yeah. that was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, hey, look, you um, uh, we're probably getting close to the end now. You've probably got other things to do. But um, I just wanted to ask, I mean, you, you've – friends with some of the biggest names in photography in, in, in the world. Um, have you been surprised by your, your career? Have you, mm. is it, have you kind of woken up and gone, wow, I've, look what I've achieved? No, you know, I don't even think about that. And in fact, I honestly have no sense of about how well I'm known or not known. I, it's almost like I'm too close to it and I don't, spend uh, much time on the internet socializing with people mm. so I have no idea if, yeah. uh, I do know that uh, I can go to Europe and be you know uh, give a talk at, a, at any of their photo festivals and I draw a pretty good crowd and they seem to know who I am and I'm always surprised about that so yeah. 
No, I, you know, I'm motivated by my, I'm driven by my own kind of inward clock. And so notoriety and fame, it's nothing that even, I even think about, mm-hmm. honestly. Oh, I'll just let you know, you're pretty famous. <laughs> just letting you know, just in case. Yeah. No one's, no one's ever told you. Know the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and what about a brand? Do you think, um, you know, like, what advice would you have for, for that the person out there that wants to be the next art wolf is there some advice you would give them well you know they should be the next whoever they are right mm-hmm. they should yeah. be the first tom or betty or whoever they are but i think if they have a passion for it and they love it then don't look at it like a business look at it as life mm-hmm. and something that you're lucky to have found something there you're enthusiastic about it I think a lot of people um, basically look at photography as a living. They want to know how much money they can make from it, and I've never even thought about that. It's always, I, I'm not qualified to do anything else. Maybe I could be a landscape designer. That's something I could have done. But I think they, they need to love taking pictures. Then they'll uh, uh, grow into whatever they become. You have to have that in your heart and your soul, and you have to be willing not to look at how many weeks of work you have and how many days of vacation. I've never taken a day of vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't lay on the beach. I love what I do mm-hmm. all the time, yep. seven days a week for life. And my staff back me up. I don't take time off. I work in the garden, but I'm working. Do you um do do you find I, I've been very blessed? Yeah. You started shooting, you know, when you, when you were a kid, um, mountain climbing, um, you know, or just you know, just rock climbing. But do you, do you still have the, the same enthusiasm that you did then? I mean, do you still have that now? Yes. Yeah. Even more, actually. Yeah. No, I I love taking pictures. I love creating images. I love. Uh, impacting people with the work I'm doing. I think that's something all of us as creators uh, have in common. We love people that look at our work. And if you can, uh, you know, tap into somebody's emotion over something you created, that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty great feeling. Yeah, it is. There's there's undoubtedly uh, some people listening at the moment that, you know, are interested in, in photographing wildlife. And it's, look, it's not easy. What, you know what? What are the the four top tips you give to somebody interested in, in photographing animals? Art. Boy, um, I think it's so much easier today than it was ever because animals are becoming much more habituated towards the increased numbers of us out there. Mm. Technology has made it so much easier for focusing. Think about this: when I first started out, our ISOs were ISO twenty five. Wow. That was okay. my first film. You know, if you yeah. shot wildlife, the animal had to be dead yeah. for it to be in focus. So maybe that chicken that was left over by those tigers. The, so it's so much easier now. And there's so many people guiding people into wildlife areas, more areas. I mean, uh, I just spent in... When was it? I was down in Patagonia on my way to Antarctica, and I spent five days, and uh, several hours of those days, I would be literally surrounded by 
mountain lions and they were all within a radius of maybe 20 meters and they were chasing each other and I'm on foot, there's no cars, there's no protection, nor are these lions uh, uh, aggressive towards humans. I mean, in North America, occasionally a mountain lion will kill a human, a bicycler or something like that. Mm -hmm. But in Patagonia, these same mountain lions, pumas, cougars, they're all the same cat. They, there was a mother with four full-grown uh, uh, teenagers and then there's another one that was hanging out. So I had six mountain lions all around me chasing each other. Right. And then later, uh, I was down there last year and I photographed this one female a lot. And I, she's so uh, used to people now, she had tiny kittens that she uh, brought right next to me. These are wild mountain lions. So that was only, that would have been unheard of 20 years ago. Uh, now there's industry, you know, there's, uh, you can go down and photograph jaguars in the jungles mm. Mm. in Brazil. So people are living at a great time to have access to wild animals mm. and we have the technology. So, you know, if you have the drive and the interest and you can save up the money and go on a tour of Africa or Australia, uh, I mean, it was tragic what happened earlier in the year in, uh, in Sydney and the, the koalas that were roasting, mm. but you know, it is a good time to be a photographer and a wildlife photographer, but do it yeah. for love and passion, not for money. That's my best yeah. advice. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Hey, look, um, just last question I have for you is, if there was one place in the world that you could choose to go back to, where would that be? Hmm. Hey. Dunsborough. <laughs> Never you know, uh, 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 where I would like to go the most is the heart of the Amazon to a uh, remote tribe because I've done that before. I've had a great time. The people were great. Um, it's it's difficult now simply because there's great organizations that are protecting these people or at least they're trying to protect them. So access to a lot of the really remote uh, cultures in the Amazon are extremely difficult and I'm glad for that but I also had a great time when I was down there. So that's probably the first and foremost answer. I've, I've never answered that way, but now that I'm thinking about that, that's where I'd like to go. Because anywhere I want to go, I go back anyways. You know, I, uh, yeah, I am using a lot of fossil fuels. Uh, I am traveling <laughs> the growth. Hopefully the books I'm working on uh, actually pay back, but you know, that's maybe wishful thinking. Well, yeah, you have a question. It's for the it's for the greater good. But look, um, when you go into these, um, you know, sort of Amazonian uh, tribes and cultures and all that sort of stuff, how do you, you know, how do you, I want to say behave yourself, but how do you act around, you know, in those sort of environments? Do you sort of keep a low profile or you just, you know, how do you do it? Like it would be really hard for one of us, well, me in particular, to go into that sort of environment and, and, and adapt. Well, uh, two things. I, the one of the most remote tribes was in on the border of Colombia, Venezuela, and Brazil. Mm. It took us two months negotiating with the Venezuelan government to get access, uh, and then we brought in a cultural anthropologist that he himself was a uh, Indian, mm. not of their tribe, but he spoke their language. So mm. he was our emissary, our guide, and be, and they loved him. He was a bigger uh, man than 
the particular type of tribe that we went in mm. and they just loved him. It was like Santa Claus coming back and we kept on saying, yeah, we're with him. Mm. So if you love him, you'll like us. Mm. So yeah. that was one. Uh, another tribe I flew in, we didn't know how we would be uh, received. We landed in a little plane that I had uh, uh, gotten out of Brasilia <clears throat> and he came up and said his brother's wife was dying. Would I fly her to Brasilia to the hospital? Mm. And I uh, said yes, and it cost me a couple thousand dollars. And I that was early in my career. I mm. didn't have two thousand mm. dollars, but I put the wife on the plane. The pilot took her in. She had a, a appendicitis. Wow. She got fixed. The chief turned to me and said, through an interpreter, anything you want to do in our tribe, it's open to you. And so I got amazing access. And then he took his headdress off and it was macaw feathers and I still have it downstairs on my wall Wow! and wow. he gave that as a token of his appreciation so wow. those were great great experiences so you saved her yeah. life you saved her life well I believe I did mm. because if have we not gone in there nobody flies into the remote landing strip you know no. that it wouldn't have happened yeah she would have died for sure yeah I believe so yeah, yeah. oh wow that's awesome I mean Art, you've got so many stories. I imagine, uh, are you going to do a book uh, that would be a biography, perhaps, of all your travels? Yes. Mm. Yes. Because uh, I want to, you know, uh, Alzheimer's doesn't run in my family. So I, you know, I'm really bad at names. I've forgotten your name already. (laughs) Sorry. Christian. Christian. (laughs) No, I know. I used to call Fletcher Christian, and then I really Uh, did. It's it's Carwin. Carwin, Art. Alwyn. Carwin. It's A-L-T-Y-N. No, no, no. It's, it's Carwin. It's like Darwin with with a C. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Carwin. Yeah. With your accent. Okay. See, that's a new name for me. We don't have accents. <laughs> uh, we don't have accents. The point mate. I want to make is I I really suck at hearing the name the first time, mm. but I can recall and recant all the stories over a career mm. for some kind of reason i have a really good memory for the story behind the photo mm. and so yeah you mentioned uh the assemblage i remember that i mm. remember it very clearly in mm. fact i use that photo in my lectures quite often mm. so it's pretty fresh in my mind oh. but yeah i do want to do uh, a biography because i've got all the stories and there's a lot of great stories mm. so yeah. and i've got the photos to go along with those stories so i think mm. It's just inevitable and natural that it would happen. That'd be awesome, yeah. Peter. <laughs> <I'd be Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've got a, I've got a story for you, Art, because um, okay. we, we were, do you know that trip when we were going to Antarctica and we had a bit of trouble getting in there and we right. had two, I think, two aborted uh, flights. On the second one, I remember I was sitting across the aisle from you and I think you had possibly popped a, a little pill just to help you with you know, a bit of sleep. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Well, ecstasy. And then, anyway, so... <laughs> Anyway, so what happened is uh, we were almost in Antarctica and the, the pilot turned around. It was a slow, gentle arc. And I could, I tell, I knew what was happening because I could see the sun was coming out, sunlight was coming out from the different side of the plane. Anyway, Art was completely asleep. And then coming in on final final approach back into Punta Arenas, uh, he woke up and he sort of looked out the window and he goes, Wow, there's a lot more houses in Antarctica than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I went, ah, oh, mate, we turned around while you were asleep. We're back in Punta Rinas. You just went, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. 
So that's a good story for you for your book. I was on that same flight uh, a couple a month and a half ago. Same deal yep. with uh, really. uh, Kevin. Oh, uh, really? And it, you got in, or you had to turn yeah, around? Yeah, we landed, and uh, it was a brand new boat, brand new, built yeah. in Chile. Amazing boat, the best I've ever been on. Wow. Yeah, every room had a balcony that you could go out on, and oh. the food service was good. Yeah. But those guys are going to be hurting with this COVID now. Mm -hmm. You know, all yeah. those big. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it's we crazy. Can't, I can't bring that up again. Yeah, no. Well, it, uh, well, I, I have fond memories of uh, sharing a cabin with you on our last trip to Antarctica. Right? That was that was a good fun. We always had, yeah, you know, great. Is we were very good roommates. Is Christian yeah. is Christian a sound sleeper? Art. I just want to. I use earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't snore. You'll probably snore. I I know I snore, uh, but no, I use earplugs regardless of whether he snores or not. I didn't. I didn't notice any snoring, but um, I do remember you saying that um, you were sharing with someone else uh, on a previous trip or something, and they they made a real mess of the bathroom. There's always water splashed all over the floor and all over the basin, and, and that I was quite a quite a tidy roommate. So, you know, yeah, I'm, 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 that's are. that's my badge of honour. I'm going to take that one to my grave. So, yeah, I uh, I shared the uh, room with Kevin Raber on this last trip, and how was that? You know. <laughs> I, I, I've trained them to clean up the dollops of toothpaste in the sink because <laughs> he's so sloppy. Mm. <laughs> anyway, we got along. Yeah, uh, it's funny. We've had we've had Kevin on the podcast before, so we might get him back on again as well, and mm. and we'll ask him about his uh, messy toothpaste habits. Hey, look, I'm going to hey. finish finish off with a quote from your website. So it says, "It is in the wild places." where the edge of the earth meets the corner of the sky, the human spirit is fed. And uh, I think it's a beautiful quote, and I, I love that. And Art, we love having you on. Thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, uh, you know, being who you are and, and giving so much to the uh, photography community over the years. It's, uh, it's just been unbelievable. And we all uh, hope that we can have long, flourishing careers like yours um, because it's just it seems like the best life you've had. So... Thanks for your time, mate. It was a pleasure to talking to both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Art. Yeah. All right. Cheers. And stay safe, keep your head down, and um, and hopefully we can talk again soon And uh, when all this is over. All the best. It's great seeing your face and hearing you. And, yeah, it was uh, great. Thank you, guys. I'm going to go mate. have dinner with Gabrielle now. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Fantastic. Well done. All right, I'm going to go have a coffee. Cheers, Thank mate. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Catch you. Bye.